Om Namo Narayanaya. This is a recording of a talk of James Swartz on the Bhagavad Gita at Yoga Vidya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. Sadashiva Samarambam Shankara Charyamadhyamam Aspadacharya Paryantam Vande Guru Paramparam Ishwaro Guradmeti Murti Beda Vibhagine Dehaya Dakshinamurtaye Namaha Sarvavedanta Siddhanta Gocharam Tamagocharam Govindam Paramanandam Sadgurum Pranatosmiham 42, Chapter 3, Bhagavad Gita Sense organs are subtler than the body. The mind is subtler than the sense organs. The intellect is subtler than the mind, and the self is subtler than the intellect. Know that which is beyond the intellect, that means the self. Steady your emotions, uh, destroy and destroy this hidden enemy. He's not telling him to destroy Duryodhana and Bhishma and Drona and the army, he's telling him, Destroy this hidden enemy, this desire. Desire, huh? Here you have physical desires. This is at the at the sense organ level. These are the senses. These are. This is where you feel this craving, this sensual craving for food, clothing, for food, sex, etc. Activity, sounds, sights, etc., etc. So desire is hidden here at this on the gross level. He said even at a subtler level, at the, well, the level of the what? The manamaya kosha. Could call a kosha. These are called your koshas. Physical kosha means a sheath. That's the gross sheath, the food sheath. It means what? The self is hidden inside these sheaths, apparently hidden inside these sheaths. And each one is subtler than the other. So as you move backward from the gross to the subtler, subtle, you come to the place within where there is no desire. And he said you should have your mind, what, fixed on that when you fight, when you act. It means when you act. Whenever you act, your mind should, what, be fixed on, what, the self. So you, you withdraw meditation or, or discrimination is what? He's getting you set up for meditation. What withdrawing your mind from what the senses? That means not not indulging these sense desires. And then you have a whole series of emotional desires too, don't you? The need for love. That's the big one, isn't it? For relationship. All all relationships are basically about love. So there's a strong desire here, uh, this longing and this loneliness for a partner, for a child, for a husband, for a friend, or whatever it is. These are emotional desires. They operate on this sheath. You could call it the heart sheath. And then what? And when those come up, I need to what? Use my intellect to what? To get out of them. 
So here there's a whole bunch of intellectual desires. In our case, what is our basic intellectual desire? To know who we are. And we can't let this, this desire for knowledge get in the way either. We have to allow that to motivate our actions, but what? That self-knowledge should say what? Turn your attention away from the desire that you have, the intellectual desire, and put your mind where? On the self. And then act. And that will what? Burn out those desires. Understand? This is a karma yoga. Karma yoga with jnana yoga. Karma yoga is jnana yoga. Jnana yoga is karma yoga. Because they both have the same result. Which is what? To destroy, to what? Remove your desires. To reduce the desire load. So by turning your attention, what? To the place where there is no desire. There's a place in you where there's no desire. Yeah. It's beyond your intellect. That means it's that clear, quiet, still place in you. Everybody knows about this place. And so you what? You put your attention there and then you act. That's called consecration. You consecrate your actions to what? To the self. You, you think of that, you put your mind there, and then you consecrate your action. You, that's called a consecration. That means I'm turning over this desire, all of this, to you. You can fulfill my desires, Lord. You say, meaning what? Let Ishwar fulfill my desires. Whatever they are. And you keep your mind fixed on what? On yourself. And it's as simple as, it's hard, but it's as simple as what? Knowing that whenever you see the hand, you also see light. So it's as simple as concentrating on the light and not the hand. Right? Remember what I said? What do you see? You say hand. Nobody said, I see a hand and I see light. Did they? Nobody said that. But you did see, you did see the light. But you didn't, you didn't acknowledge the light. So you, the self, is present with every desire. You can't have a desire unless you're present. The desire isn't actually hiding you. This is one of the ideas that you have in, in, uh, in yoga, for example. They say that the desires, there are layers, and they're all covering your, yourself, and you have to get rid of those layers to get to the self. And then when the self, when the layers are all gone, when the thoughts are, these, these, these layers are just identifications with various thoughts at different levels of experience, at the physical, emotional, intellectual level. But, and and in, in yoga they say, well, you've got to peel away them all because inside is a, it's like an onion. The sweet core of the onion is inside and you have to peel off all of the layers around it. Those are called the koshas or the sheaths. And, and then, Patanjali says that, doesn't he? he said, in a, in his, his own way, he says, he says, yoga, chitta vritti niroda. And then he says, right, and then the seer shines in all its glory. The third verse of the Yoga Sutra, first, the first verse is, atato, now yoga jinyasa, now, now the study of yoga. Then he says, yoga, he defines it, yoga is chitta vritti niroda. That is, 
Yoga is getting rid of the, what, the thoughts, the chitta vrittis that are what? Preventing enlightenment. So these chitta vrittis are five in number. They're physical vrittis, they're emotional vrittis, they're intellectual vrittis, and they're, oh, there's also hunger and thirst. Those, are, those operate here on this level. And then there's the bliss vritti. So these, it says all these things are hiding the self. And so you need to get rid of those. And then in the third verse it says, and then the seer shines in all its glory. Then the self will be realized when you get rid of all those things. And so people are trying to get rid of their physical or transcend their physical and emotional and so forth and so on. But what Vedanta says is, is that the self isn't really hidden inside those sheaths. <laughs> See? You, you wouldn't know that the self was hidden unless the self was there, would you? Well. So with every desire, awareness is present, isn't it? It's not like awareness and desire are opposites. So, you know, if when you have desire, you don't have awareness, and when you have awareness, you don't have desire, it's not like that, is it? When you have desire, you have awareness. Hmm? Why? Awareness is always present as the ever-experiencing witness. This is how you know you have desires. <laughs> so, you can't get rid of the desires. How, how do you? You can get rid of them, but you can't get rid of the desires by getting rid of the desires. How do you get rid of the desires? Just pay attention to the self. When you're paying attention to the hand, you don't see the self, do you? When you pay attention to the what? The, the light... You don't see, when you pay attention to the hand, you don't see the light, do you? When you're paying attention to the light, what do you see? You see the light and the hand, don't you? So that means what? Whenever you have a desire, you're always present. The you that you're looking for, the you that you want to realize, is always present with every desire. At every level of experience, at these five levels or layers of experience, you're always present. So all you need to do is what? Use your discrimination to take your attention off of the hand and put it on the light. All I did was point out that you had light, and then what did you see? You didn't see the light before. You saw it, but you didn't see it. Isn't that right? <laughs> you saw it, but you didn't see it. You, weren't, you didn't acknowledge it. Your actual, physically, your eyes saw it because you couldn't, what? You couldn't see the hand unless the light was there. So actually, you did see the light, but what? You didn't see the light. So you're actually experiencing yourself all the time. But what? You're looking at the body and the mind and the thoughts and the feelings and all of that, and what? So you don't see the self. So all knowledge does is say, like, hey, pay attention. Wherever you have an object, you have the subject. You can't have an object without the subject. So just 
take your attention off of the object and put it on the subject. That's what he's saying here. Put your attention where? Subtler than the intellect. Know that which is beyond the intellect. Beyond the thought. Because all, all of these layers are just thoughts. Remember, experience is what? What is experience? Consciousness plus a thought. That's all experience is. Consciousness plus a thought. Every experience, that's all it is, is what? Me, awareness, plus the thought that's in me, in my awareness at the time. But I'm only looking at the thought, I'm not looking at the awareness. So what? Just turn your attention to the self, and then what? Then act. Then do your actions. That what? That acknowledgement of the self consecrates your action and burdens your karma. Chapter 4. Knowledge and the renunciation of action. Now here, this is where we... I hint, I mentioned this earlier, and uh, we're just... We'll, we won't have, it won't take a lot of trouble to, uh, to understand this idea. This is a tough one. I hate this. It's a very difficult thing to understand. This is the avatar concept. Huh? I wish they hadn't put it in. <laughs> no, because people have the wrong idea about what an avatar is. And the, the, idea, the idea of these verses is what? Is that the idea of these verses here, I forget how many verses there are. Uh, well, we'll see. Uh, is that if you understand Ishwara, then you can understand the self. Self-realization is understanding the self. And God-realization is understanding Ishwara. Now, Ishwara and the self both have what? An identity in common. Okay? The jiva, huh? the, the self, the, the, the jiva, that's the individual, the reflected awareness, that has what? That is consciousness. See consciousness here? In the middle? Consciousness plus the five sheaths is the jiva. Consciousness plus the gross body, the prana body, the emotional body, the intellect body, and the bliss body, that's what? That's called jiva. So jiva is consciousness plus five sheaths. We call them sheaths to distinguish them. What's Ishwara? What's Ishwara or God? Consciousness plus Maya. What's Maya? Three bodies. Causal, subtle, and gross body. So what? There's no identity between what? Between Jiva and Ishwara on the what? On the level of the objects. These objects are called Upadis. An Upadi makes something look like something other than what it is. Now if you have if I have a clear crystal here and a red rose here. Is the, is the crystal clear or is it red? Got a red rose here and I got a clear crystal here. Now, is the crystal clear or is it red? No, it's red. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
It's, it's, it's clear and it's red, isn't it? It looks red, but it's actually clear, isn't it? So these five sheaths of what? Of jiva, these five koshas of jiva, they make it look like what? An individual person. They make consciousness look... Jiva is consciousness. Huh? Awareness plus five bodies. These five sheaths that jiva has make it look like an individual person. Make consciousness look like an individual person. They're what? Upadis. Even though jiva is pure consciousness, it looks like a person when you add five sheaths to it. And Ishwara, what? Ishwara is pure consciousness also, isn't it? With three bodies. Gross, subtle, causal body. These are the macrocosmic. Gross, subtle, and causal bodies. So this applies to everybody. So Ishwara is everybody and everything, the total. Ishwara is the one in all the total, all the bodies. Now, is there any... I, is there any identity on that level between those two? Well, no, not really, is it? Because one's got five conditions and the other's got three conditions. But what do they have in common? So by understanding Ishwara, I can get to con the nature of Ishwara, I can get to consciousness. And by understanding the nature of Jiva, I can get to consciousness. One's called what? Self-realization, Atma. And the other's called God realization or, or Ishwara Brahman realization, what? Limitless consciousness. But it's the same thing. There's only one consciousness. It's not limited and it's not limitless. It's neither limitless or limited. Ishwara is limitless and in Jiva is what? Limited. But what? Consciousness is neither limitless nor limited. It's what? The knower of what? Of the limitless and the knower of the limited. So you can't say that's called paramatma. So you can't say it's either big or you can't say it's small. You can't say it's near. You can't say it's far. You can't say it's an individual. You can't say it's a total. It's anirvachaniya. You can't explain it. Yeah. Uh, can you uh, say uh, two sentences about the difference between uh, the five sheets and the three bodies? Are the three bodies only macroscopic? Yeah, the, 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 three the three bodies are macrocosmic and the five sheets are microcosmic. Now, this is an interesting, this is an interesting question because where do the five, the five sheets come from? three bodies. So there is an identity there. But what? But Rajas and Thomas don't operate on Ishwara, do they? Only Sattva. Ishwara is just Maya plus Sattva. I don't think I explained it properly. That's not your question, is it? Yes, is that yes, good enough? Yes, yes. Okay. Good enough. Damn. Say, say your question again. Let me think about it again. Oh, yeah, is there... Okay, good. Are there five she's? Huh? Are the total... Is the total mind? Everybody has these five sheets, but not everybody has feelings and emotions. For example, not all jivas, do they? Like dogs and cats, or microbes, or butterflies. Do butterflies have feelings? 
No, they don't. Huh? Intellect? Huh? No. <laughs> so what? Uh, but they have three bodies. They have a subtle body. Every jiva has a subtle body, although it's rudimentary. Everybody has a causal body. All the living beings, all the jivas have a causal body because they all come from the macrocosmic causal body. But they're individual entities in that macrocosmic causal body. And all of the uh, jivas have a physical body. Don't they? But not all of them are the same, are they? See? They're not identical with Ishwar. The bodies are not identical. So Ishwar controls the macrocosm, and Jiva, what is the microcosm? Now, Jiva's creations are a little different from Ishwar's creations. There's a difference there also. I mentioned this, I think, yesterday or whenever. I can't remember now. It seems like we've been here forever, doesn't it? <laughs> it seems like nothing has happened. We're just always just sitting in the same place, doing the same thing forever. Anyway, Ishwar creation and Jiva's creation are two different things. Now, what is Ishwar's creation? It's the three bodies, the three states, the five elements, the three gunas. Three gunas, three states, five elements, the three bodies, those are all created by what? By Ishwara. Those are objective. They're just the objects and the, of course all the dharmas and all the laws and processes that are operating here are Ishwara's creation. Totally impersonal. We call it Vyavaharika Satyam. It means the empirical reality. It has a physical aspect, it has a psychological aspect, and it has a moral aspect to it. That's Ishwara's creation. Now, Jiva is what? Created by Ishwara. And jiva doesn't, obviously you as an individual, as a jiva, you're not creating the sun, the moon, the stars. You're not creating the three states of experience. You're not creating the gunas. You're not creating any of that stuff, are you? You know that very well. You're not creating your body. You're not creating your senses. You're not creating your mind. You're not creating your intellect. You're not creating your bliss sheath, your sleep state. You're not, you're not creating any of that. Jiva doesn't create any of that. All of that's created by Ishwara. That's called the objective world, the Vyavaharika Satyam, empirical reality. That's the world of science. That's the world of audition and optics and, and, and nuclear power and thermodynamics and all of these various principles and laws. Right? So that's objective reality. Now, jiva finds itself in that objective reality. Jiva is just an individual, his consciousness, uh, scatter, it's, that's, we said, you know, in the second stage of creation, uh, the jivas are created, they're limited, and they've been scattered throughout the creation. So they exist in Ishwara, in the total, in the total field, 
in the 14 worlds, the 14 lokas and so forth. All of that is all created by Ishwar. And in all of those dimensions of, of this, of the Ishwar's creation, there are all these jivas. Now what, what do the, the animal jivas and the plant jivas and the insect jivas and all of these things, they don't interpret reality. They don't create, okay? They don't make any creations. They're just programs. They're little bits of code. Ishwara code. And those, ish, those codes just keep operating over and over and over again. They're like, kind of like viruses. A virus Is a virus a living thing? Or is it a non-living thing? What is it? We don't even know if it's a jiva or it's... or whatever. It's just a piece of code that does certain things. It's a piece of DNA. So most of most most the majority of jivas don't think because the intellect hasn't evolved in them. Human beings are jivas. They've got a physical body and they've got a subtle body, but what? They've evolved an intellect. Hmm? Now that intellect is a very interesting thing. That allows the jiva free will. That allows the human beings to think and to choose. It makes them self-reflective. In other words, it reflects awareness. So jivas are aware of themselves, unlike other animals and other jivas, other plant jivas and so forth. Plant's a living thing. Plant, huh? Yeah, plants, plants do certain things. They respond to their environment in an intelligent way. They've got, they're living. I don't know how these vegetarians are eating plants and saying they're not eating life. Huh? In fact, the meat eaters are just vegetarians once removed. Huh? The animals eat the meat, and then we uh, they eat the vegetables, and we eat the animals. So we're even better than the vegetarians. We're smarter. We let the animals process it all, and we get extra energy from the meat. You know, so. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> okay, so, the jivas have an intellect. And the jivas are presented experience. This is your experience, isn't it? You're a conscious being, and experience presents itself to you. You don't create experience, do you? Okay, if you create experience, then, then show me. <laughs> create a nice experience for me, please. You can't create a nice experience. Experience what is created by uh, Ishwara, by what? The causal body, as it what? As it facilitates karmas that you've done in the past. So in a sense you create experience, but you're not in direct control of your experience. You indirectly create experience, but you don't directly. You can't just sit here and generate. Generate the experience of anger right now. Please, get angry at me. Come on, get angry. You can't do it, can you? Huh? Come on, you're in control. You, you can generate. You're, you're in control. No, you're not in control. You can't generate anger. You can't. Please love me. 
you, you either love me or you don't. You can't force yourself to love me. You will or you won't. So, the jivas aren't creating experience. What are they doing then? What what are they creating? What is huh? What's the difference here between Ishwar? First of all, Ishwar is not a big person, and Ishwar is not interpreting what Ishwar has created, because it's not a big person. But jiva is doing what? Is interpreting experience is interpreting what happens. Ishwar is presenting experience to Jiva and Jiva is interpreting that experience. And so what Jiva is creating is what? An interpretation of what happens. Now when a newborn baby looks at these these glasses, hmm, it sees what you see, but it doesn't know their glasses and it doesn't interpret them at all. Because the interpreted function hasn't operated yet. It's still what? Ishwar is still sorting out some, some physical problems for that little jiva. But what? Soon enough, it's going to start saying, I don't like those glasses, mommy. Huh? I don't like your glasses, mommy. How did it suddenly, when it was baby, it didn't have any problem with those glasses? When it was, huh? But then after a while, it doesn't like what mommy's got or daddy's got. Why not? Why did it suddenly, huh? Why, it was suddenly, it was perceiving everything purely as it was without any kind of evaluation or judgment. And then suddenly, huh, at some point, it starts having likes and dislikes, doesn't it? That's your creation. That's the bit that you're responsible for. And, and that's the main difference between you and Ishwara. You're, you're interpreting what Ishwara presents to you. Ishwara is creating all the stuff. Ishwara is not interpreting it. For Ishwara, everything's fine. The, the, there's no good and no evil for Ishwara. Ishwara is not thinking, oh, this is a good action and this is a bad action and all that sort of thing. All those actions are what generate, all that good and bad karma, that punya and papa, are all generated by jivas, what? According to their likes and dislikes. According to their fears and their desires. If a, if a, if a jiva has a lot of tamas, what will it do? It'll be a fearful jiva. If its predominant guna is tamas, then it's going to be a fearful jiva. And look out for those people. They're very dangerous. They're, huh? They're very dangerous people. And if a, if, a, if a jiva has predominant rajas, look out for those people. Those are demonic people also. They're, they're, huh? they're, bent, they're going to destroy you as best they can. They're going to cause trouble to themselves and to others. Tamasic and rajasic gunas. Uh, incline jivas toward what? Pain, suffering, destruction, anger, greed, all of these bad values. We'll see later on. We're going to analyze the values. There's a chapter in here called the divine and the demoniac values. And those that Rajas and Thomas are filters through which the jiva looks at reality and what? 
it responds or reacts to reality, it judges reality, and then it responds and reacts to reality according to the gunas. Only when you have sattva guna do you start to see things clearly. This is why sattva is valuable for moksha, because you need to you have a clear mind to understand what we're saying here. If your mind is rajasic and tamasic, you're not going to get it. If you don't get it, you then... Well, the, in, you have to do your nididhyasana, that's the third stage of Vedanta sadhana. In the third stage of Vedanta sadhana, what do you do? You remove the rajas and tamas. Vikshepa and, and avarana. Avarana means clouding or veiling, and, and rajas is vikshepa, projecting. These are two, the two big energies that, that are causing jiva to interpret reality. Thomas keeps you from seeing what's happening. That's called denial. Thomas clouds you, and so you deny what's happening. You don't. You don't want to see what's happening there, and what and Rajas projects. So then you see something that's there that is that you see something that isn't there. That's called Rajas. In relationships, all your relationships that those are the two prob. Those are the two energies that cause all the problems. Projection and denial. Basic psychological what? That's Jiva's what? Creation. Ishwar is not creating that. Jiva's creating that. And those are the those are the enemies that he's talking about. Why? Because it keeps you from clearly seeing what's happening. Sattva is a is a mode of, of clarity. It's a mode of knowledge. So when your mind is sattvic, it's still. You're not hiding anything. You see what's there. You see what's there in yourself, and you see what's there outside in the world. So there's no... You're not filtering it. You're just what? You're just seeing what's actually there. So if you want to be successful in life, then you need to have predominant sattva. Because what? Your intellect should is, is controlling what you're doing. Your intellect is doing all the interpreting. Well, if it's cloudy or agitated, it's going to misinterpret. It's going to deny and it's going to project. Whereas if it's sattvic and clear, what? You'll see what's happening. You'll be able to, what? Respond appropriately to every situation on the outer level. And on the inner level, what will you be able to do? Apply the knowledge. Inwardly, you'll be able to apply the knowledge. So the whole sadhana here is what? is manipulating or changing the relative degrees of Rajas and Thomas, huh? adjusting the Rajas, Thomas, and Sattva in your subtle body to achieve the result you want. Sometimes you need more Rajas, sometimes you need more Thomas, you need Thomas for sleep, you need Rajas for accomplishing your goals, and, and sometimes you need more Sattva for clarity and discrimination. So you're going to have to what? You're going to have to just, you know, we're not changing ourselves. We're what? We're just what? Changing our mind, that's all. Your mind is not yourself. Your mind is an instrument. So you're not making yourself better when you think. You're just adjusting your mind so it will serve the purpose that you want. And that purpose we want is what? Moksha. So we need to have, understand this guna management. Okay. Sadhana, spiritual practice, is guna management. We'll see when we get on with it later on. So, anyway, so um, <laughs> it, the gunas, uh, 
even though Ishwara has created the gunas, Jiva can actually what? Change huh? the gunas. As I said earlier, don't think Ishwara is a big, big, big daddy in the sky that's telling you what to do. Ishwara is just facilitating your karma. That means if you can do sattvika karmas, you're going to get sattvika what? Subtle body. If you do rajasika karmas, you're going to get a rajasic subtle body. And if you do tamasic karmas, then you're going to get what? A tamasic subtle body. Ishwara will just give you what you what? Ask for. Not mentally. It's not going to say, oh, I want a sattvic subtle body, uh, Ishwara. Please give me a sattvic subtle body because I want enlightenment. Just give me one. No, that's not going to, it doesn't work that way. You have to do the actions. You have to create the karma to what? Generate the new vasana. This is why jiva has free will. You can't, jiva can choose to do sattvic karmas or rajasic karmas or tamasic karmas. And therefore, the jiva can actually control uh, the nature of its subtle body. So this is this is the work. This is called yoga. This is the yoga or the work that we're doing here. Yoga is not necessarily, you know, twisting your body like a pretzel. That's a kind of yoga. That's good for getting your body healthy. Uh, controlling your breath is very good for getting a quiet mind. There's ways you can do physical yoga or pranayama or, or asana. It will have a certain impact on your mind, but it's not going to change your fundamental psychological condition unless you what? Unless you understand this guna yoga, this triguna vibhava yoga. So, anyway, chapter four. I, well, I got off on this. See, I was getting scared because I didn't want to talk about this avatar thing. <laughs> well, where this started was uh, that if you understand Ishwara, then you can understand the self. So look at it this way. Don't, 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 the next time you get on the internet and you see some little guy, you know, some little 21-year-old kid who had some big epiphany and he's claiming he's an avatar, okay? Don't, you know, keep in mind this definition of an avatar, okay? Because all these people that are out there that are claiming they're avatars, they're not avatars, okay? Not according to our definition. Avatars just become a spiritual status. That's all. It's kind of like... Sai Baba was the first one to really milk it. He, he really worked it really good. And now everybody's decided that they're an avatar. Any person who's got this five-minute epiphany suddenly becomes an avatar and puts up a website and selects, collects donations and makes vid, YouTube videos and tries to convince you that he or she's an avatar. You know, well, that's not what... It, this avatar is what? Just a, a concept, an idea to present the knowledge of Ishwara. So what is Ishwara? You're going to see here. In, in Krishna, you know, Arjuna's got a problem here. You see, it's the same problem he had all along. It's always the same problem. But uh, he doesn't understand something Krishna's saying. In chapter 2, uh, he didn't understand Krishna when he said, you're not killing anybody and nobody's going to die here. Uh, 
he thought, you, you, are, what are you talking about? Well, Krishna was talking about everything's the self, and Arjuna wasn't seeing everything's the self, so what? So there was a big disconnect between what Krishna was saying and what Arjuna was hearing. And now there's another disconnect here between Krishna and Arjuna. Because right? one's in Mithya world and the other's in Satya world. One's an enlightened person and the other's what? A samsari. person is stuck in samsara. So he says, Krishna said, I taught this eternal yoga to Vishwasan, who taught it to Manu, who taught it to the kingly sages. It was handed down from generation to generation, but as time passed, it's been almost completely forgotten. Because you are my friend, I will reveal this secret path to you. Arjuna said, You were born recently, but Vishwasan lived thousands of years ago. It doesn't seem likely that you taught Vishwasan in the beginning. Huh? He's, at least he's kind of polite. You know, he said, what are you talking about? Because what's, what's, what's Arjuna seen? Krishna has his body. He's seen a body standing there. That's his vision. He doesn't see, huh? Krishna what is, is what? Speaking as what? Ishwara. Ishwara 1 or Ishwara 2? He's speaking as Ishwara 2. Ishwara 1 is Paramatma. Ishwara, Paramatma is not doing any speaking. Okay? That's pure non-dual consciousness. That's what's called Paramartika Satyam. Vyavaharika Satyam is what? Empirical reality. And Pratibhasika Satyam is Jiva Shristi. That is what? Jiva's creation. Jiva's interpretation. So there's three orders of reality. Paramartika Satyam, Vyavaharika Satyam, and Pratibhasika Satyam. And what, what this... Krishna is what? Awareness plus Maya is speaking here. Okay? And see, let's see what awareness's relationship to Maya is here in these verses. It's very interesting. He's going to explain it. It's very simple, but it's very interesting. He says, The Lord replied, Many births have passed for both of us, Arjuna, I know them all, but they are unknown to you. Means Ishwara what knows all of the births of all the jivas. As what? As what? Ishwara too, but what? As consciousness, Ishwara too can't function, can it? So here we've got consciousness, paramatma, pure consciousness, what? Operating Maya. Hmm? Aware of Maya looking through, shining on Maya, operating through Maya. Maya becomes an instrument for Paramatma, for the self. Okay? It says here, Even though I am the unborn Lord of all beings, and my unborn means what? Ishwara is born, isn't it? Ishwara too is born. Because it what appears and disappears, doesn't it? At the end, when this whole creation goes, what happens? Where's Ishwara? When the sun, the moon, the stars, and all the jivas are all gone, they will be all gone. We know this. Science will tell you this. Where does it go? 
it dies. And what does it do? It goes back into seed form. That's called pralaya. It dissolves. Ishwara, Ishwara too, Maya, dissolves. And it goes to seed form. And the whole creation, what? Goes into pralaya. And then after trillions of years or zillions of years, what happens? The seed sprouts, that's called laya, and out comes the whole creation all over again. So this Ishwara too, what, has two states. It's, it's manifest and it's unmanifest. That's what we call, it lives or appears and it dies, it disappears. Nothing actually lives or dies, but these are just metaphors for this process. So what does he say here? He says, even though I'm the un... And he, the, he's what? He's unborn. So what is unborn? Ajataha. The self is unborn. You have no beginning. You were not born. If you were not born, you're not going to die. Only what is born will die. If you're not born, you can't die. That's what he said in the very first, very beginning. He says that. Even though I am the unborn Lord of all beings and my self-knowledge is unshakable, means I know who I am without what? Without the aid of any, any teaching or any object. <laughs> I don't need a teaching to know who I am. I'm self-knowing. I seemingly come into being through the power of my own maya. Means what? His body is an appearance. And what does he do? He uses maya to appear here. He uses maya to create a body to what? He's going to tell you. To solve a particular problem. So avatars are people who don't come here as a result of punya and papa. Jivas come here as a result of punya and papa, that is, the results of their actions. They create vasanas, and that vasanas will cause them to be reborn over and over and over again. But avatars don't have any karma. They, they what? The self takes through maya, creates this entity that what? Doesn't have any karma that's here, what? Solely to solve a problem for the total. I seemingly come into being through the power of my own maya. And why do I do that? Wherever there is a decline in right living and people become addicted to corrupt ways, I assume a physical body and appear in the world to establish dharma by encouraging and protecting those committed to it and destroying those who don't. And you see that happens in one way or another when the world gets too, uh, too tamasic and rajasic, where dharma is violated. Like the last big violation was World War II. That was a huge violation of Dharma. The world became really, really, really... Ad Dharma became incredibly powerful. The Japanese and the Germans and the Italians and so forth. They were, they were really, really violent people. 
and they were like violating the the rules right and left. It was just it was awful. Uh, and then what happened? What did that do? That generated what? Its opposite. Suddenly, consciousness created all these these eyed people, basically, who stood up and decided we got to fight this. And then what? The whole dharma was reestablished. There's always ad dharma operating here, and and dharma is what coming to coming forward to correct it. So this is the purpose of an avatar. So and what? Those who understand the reality of my divine birth and my purpose here, let go of attachment to the body, realize who I am, and are not born again. Free of craving, fear, and anger, happy only with me, and purified by the discipline of self-knowledge, many come back to me. Okay? So if you understand, to understand Ishwar, then you understand... You can understand what moksha is. It means you're free of what, of maya. And and these these uh, yanis actually can create not the whole sun, the moon, and the stars, but can create the kind of life that they want by their maya, because they get a little piece of that maya if they want. If they don't want to, they don't have to. But the whole idea is kind of funny because. The same thing applies to a jnani that applies to what? An avatar. Because an a- the jnanis are beyond what? Beyond maya. They can create, re- they can destroy adharma if they want. There are many examples in the scripture. Or they can just what? Reestablish dharma simply by teaching. Aren't they? Simply by teaching people self-knowledge and getting people enlightened, what do you do? You change the whole Dharma field. And that's what happens. These great teachers come along and what? There's a huge movement and and the whole society is benefited and corrected until what? People get lazy and corrupt and tamasic and redoxic and those those negative gunas come up and then the uh, Dharma starts to prevail and then what? Then there's this movement back and forth. In the spiritual world, everybody thinks, oh, it's going on and on and up, upward and upward and upward, and all the bad's going to disappear entirely, and only good, and we're going to enter the millennium, and the coming Buddha's going to be there, and the ascended masters, and da 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 I think it's going to like, huh? It's just going to get better and better and better. No, it's not. It's going to get better and better and better till it gets worse and worse and worse. And then it's going to get better and better and better, huh? Till it gets worse and worse and worse. And then it's going to get better and better. better. It's just like back and forth all the time. Between this war, between Adharma and Dharma. And Duryodhana and his army represent Adharma. And Arjuna and what his, his brothers, his clan represent Dharma. And they're having a war here. And Krishna's come to do what? To what? Educate Arjuna as to his duty so that what? He can establish huh, dharma. Because if, if, if this situation goes on too much longer, then what? You're going to have a huge problem. It's going to be ten times harder to what? Reestablish the dharma. And if we don't have dharma, believe me, you're going to be walking around packing pistols and looking over your shoulder all day long. Huh? 
there's a lot of beings out there who will eat you alive and are happy to do it. Enjoy tormenting you and parasites and all these kind of people. If you don't have Dharma, if they're not afraid, hmm, they don't have fear of the Lord, huh, look out. Religion's great for that. Relig religion's not, you know, necessarily good for a lot of things, but it's very good for scaring people enough to keep them behaving nicely, to keep them following Dharma. Huh? The fear of God, huh? that's the value of, of, of religion. At least it has an idea about what Dharma is. And it tells you you will be punished if you do bad things. And you will. Just by the nature of your own actions. Now, what does he say here? Next, he said, it's very cool. He said, oh, we got to quit? Is it time out? Oh, what is for? What is for? for? Huh? We can go a little more, huh? What time yeah, is it? Oh, we have 20 minutes. No, 20 minutes to 6. Five thirty is the thing. Oh, I was thinking six. Yeah. No, no, no. Okay. Let's see. Oh, well, that's a good place to stop because he's going to say he's going to say that in whatever the next verses he says in whatever way you worship me I bless you according to your worship. Huh? See what he's saying here. That means you're the boss here. And how do you worship? Let's say, what does worship of Ishwara mean? It means doing actions in the world. <laughs> like say you worship uh, six-pack abs or big muscles, okay? You're a guy and you want to get the girls. And the girls like guys with big muscles. <laughs> so, so you pray to Ishwara. Ishwara... I'm lonely. I need a girl. Give me big muscles. Please. Huh? Ishwar is not going to give you big muscles. Ishwar will give you big muscles, but how will you get big muscles? You have to worship Ishwar. And how do you do that? Go to the gym. Pump iron. Huh? And, and Ishwar will give you big muscles. Okay, and then the girls will come. <laughs> That's how you worship Ishwara. You do actions. And Ishwara what? Gives you the results of your actions. And since you have discretion in action, the verse said earlier, yoga is discretion in action. You have a choice about the kind of actions, then you can do the actions that we're going to create the kind of mind and body that you need. To what? For your moksha or anything else. So we'll take up there uh, after the break at 7 o'clock. Is that good? Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you for listening to the talk of James Wards on the Bhagavad Gita, recorded at Yoga Vidya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. More information on shiningworld.com and yoga-vidya.org.